0: throughout the day And they both could live together They both could live in peace They both could be in love together And make the world at ease Floating through a sea of troubles That the world around them makes And it really doesn't matter When you know love's matter Because you know that it's all it takes And she could be Mother and a daughter at the same time for a man And he could be A father and a son for a future family plan And he could raise a lot of healthy children, yeah Bring them up in harmony And teach them all the good things in this life And most important, teach them how to be To be open and attentive and loving When the world around them shakes And it really doesn't matter when you know the pattern Cause you know that is all it is <laughs> <laughs> and she is the She's every woman le living in the world today I'm looking for the woman that tells me she is free, and we all can live together. We all can live in peace. We all can be in love together and make the world at ease. Working through a sea of troubles that the world around us makes, and it really doesn't matter when you know the battle, let you know that it's all in it
1: Welcome to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard, and that was the incredible sound of Sean Phillips and we from Dallas, Texas, all the way from 1973. One of the many highlights from his new live in the 70s set that has unearthed some brilliant unreleased live recordings from the 70s. Sean Phillips, notable to many for inspiring, writing, collaborating with Donovan in the 60s. But since then, he's had a very prolific and critically acclaimed solo career. A huge welcome to the Strange Blue, Sean. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Thank you. That's fantastic to hear. So you're just going back to that opening track. How's it feel in relation to getting all this uh, material out there now? Well,
2: first of all, I mean, this just came out of the blue for me over the last few years. I've had to produce all the albums that I've made since then because I got a little bit of a problem with, number one, intelligent lyrics. Number two, my refusal to take direction from anybody in the music industry. You know, I put you in a difficult position when you, uh, when you want to make albums that have the same substantial quality as the ones you did before and had the money to do it with. So uh, I've been working like that. And this thing just suddenly came out of the blue. There's a friend of mine named uh, Alex Roten who is friends with the Roger Huday. I haven't the faintest idea where they got this material from. I mean, we have to take into account the state of the art of recording during the seventies at that time. And uh, they have remastered every single song. I think they found 84 songs in total and chose 51 to put in the box set. I had no idea they were doing this. The, The way I know Alex is that he came to me about almost seven years ago now and said, I have just spent two and a half years amassing material on you and your history of the music industry because I'd like to make a feature-length documentary film on you. He says, do you want me to continue? Well, duh, (laughs) (laughs) you know? I mean, yeah, man, if you put that much work into it, uh, hell yes. So anyway, over the last five years, he's amassed uh, some over 120 different interviews with everybody from the M in a and AM Records, Jerry Moss, yeah. interviews with the people that uh, I've interacted with during my life. And he's putting this film together. We have a tentative title. Uh, the tentative title is Bill Graham's Proclamation on Hearing Me for the First Time. And uh, Bill Graham, that was at the Hurricane Carter benefit years ago at the Astrodome in Houston. And uh, Bill Graham heard me, heard me play for the first time. And he said, this guy is the best kept secret in the music business. That's what I think will title the film. But anyway, Alex and Roger got together. They've done this. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just gobsmacked, man. I am so happy that it's happening because let's face it you know in the song moonshine i wrote a line called octogenarians intermarrying what you're going to do when the light goes out okay well hey man i'm going to be an octogenarian this coming february of course i'm looking at that sort of in a different light at this time as you could well imagine
1: oh that's great and Texas, you're originally from Fort Worth, I understand. Yes, that's correct, yes. But your early years, your family travelled around a bit and that started to infuse the early musical influences? Yeah, my dad
2: gave me an old Stella guitar at six years old and uh, I drove him nuts with E minor and A minor for, you know, months. But anyway, he was an author who wrote counter-espionage novels and uh, he created a character that worked independently for the u.s government and uh that was his protagonist he always wrote on location he didn't want somebody telling him no the hotel's on that side of the street you know kind of thing and i traveled with him and uh in my younger years i mean i lived in the canary islands i lived in Barcelona for a while then we lived in tahiti for a little bit Uh, that was before they built the airport in Tahiti. where you got there by ship. So doing that, that introduced me to so many different musical forms and genres. And I came from Texas, yeah, but you know, the thing was, once I get back to Texas, after being with them, I live with my grandparents for a while. And my grandmother listened to Tchaikovsky, and my grandfather listened to Hank Williams. Okay, so I've got all these different influences on, going on, and it's turning me into a musical schizophrenic. Okay, and then I meet Paul Buckmaster and J. Peter Robinson in England, and they turn my world around. They introduced me to Christoph Penderecki, Giorgio de Karl Karlheinz Stockhausen, all these, these formidable pioneers of composition. And, you know, every musician should be like a sponge. Don't bury yourself in one genre of music. From that point on, as I say, when I returned to Texas, I had the blues and all that. And I'm good friends. Well, I was good. Uh, Delbert McClinton and I went to the same high school together. Also, John Duchendorf, John Denver. John Denver and I also went to the same high school, Arlington Heights in Fort Worth, Texas. So that gave me my little bit of blues. But it never really stuck because I had Edgar Winter walk up to me at a festival in Canada years ago, and he said, dude, you come from Texas. How come you got so far away from the roots? And I said, well, because there's a whole tree above the ground, Edgar. That's kind of where I'm completely uncategorizable.
1: I have to say, Sean, one of the songs of yours that captured my imagination as a, a small child. Yes was Little Tinge Soldier. Okay. The the guitar framework for that as well, underpinning those lyrics were so varied and and, and so strong. What was inspiring you in that period when you you were just writing incredible material like that?
2: I mean, that was my full-on 12-string period. That was the only guitar I had. But there's an interesting story behind that guitar as well. A manager I had at the time, a gentleman named Hal Key, he bought that guitar for me at a music store in Los Angeles. And I found out later, Gibson made the prototype. They made the first one with the first serial number. And the jazz guitarist, Barney Kessel, got that one. Then I bought the one he bought me was the second one that gibson made and later on a a couple of years down the road i played on a session with barney kessel and he had his 12 string and he picked up mine and he played it and uh he said hey man i'll give you my 12 string and five hundred dollars in exchange i said dude if barney kessel says that i don't i said i'm sorry barney if you say that i can't let go of this guitar Uh, At the time, that story of the Little Tin Soldier always struck me. So I wrote what I thought would be suitable to uh, tell the story that way with that guitar.
1: Your debut LP, I'm Alona, was that recorded in the U.S. or was that recorded in England?
2: No, that was recorded in England. I I originally left the U.S. I met Ravi Shankar uh, when I was playing a club called the Purple Onion in Toronto. Years ago, uh, this was a time where they would book you into the the same place for a week. You know, not a single night. And I had a night off, and somebody said, "You got to go see this guy plays this instrument," and it blew me away. And I went backstage. Despite what everybody may say about Ravi Shankar, at that moment I met him. He was so grace gracious. He let me play his sitar. He told me how to sit with it, how to use the finger pick everything and he got me started on that and uh we later ran into each other in paris where he was doing an album with a guy that played the glass tubes okay yeah dip your fingers in water and and he was doing an album of that i think it was verdi they were playing with that interesting instrumentation going on there so anyway i had gone to england because i was on my way to india And in my time, in the short time I was in England, uh, before I met Pete and Paul and all those guys, I played at a party and Dennis Preston from Lansdowne Records, uh, the Columbia subsidy. He heard me play, he said, do you want to make a record? I said, as long as there's not a time clause on the contract, sure, let's do this. And so I did, I made those two CDs for Lansdowne. Mm.
0: Once in a town in the black forest A little white toy shop stood And the little tin soldier with only one leg Lived in a castle of wood And across the room on another shelf Stood a little glass case and the tiny ballerina lived in there, all in a dress of lace. And from where the little tin soldier stood, they could see each other so clear. And the little tin soldier watched over her, the love that was so. One day, sadness came, the tiny ballerina was sold The little tin soldier was thrown away And into the gutter he rolled. The water carried him to the sea And many far-off lands He made many children happy as he passed through their tiny hands But then one day they met again in a house in the land of iron And when the clock on the wall struck the midnight hour They jumped into a fire
1: Did um, Donovan hear about your music? Then
2: we met at Iber moran's music store. Right, that's where we met. I had made one album at that point, and he had heard of the album, and uh, a lot of musicians heard about the album. And we 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 were in there buying strings and stuff like that. And he says, "Hey man, you want to go smoke a joint?" And I said, "Yeah, sure. Come on, let's go." Okay, and that started the friendship. So then it, it kind of just. Went on and on, and then and, and, uh, we worked together for about three years.
1: You were really kind of his, his musical partner in that period. And when you look at Fairy Tale, you're on a number of, of his songs, like Jersey Thursday, for example. He also recorded Tin Soldier. So, in terms of his career starting to blossom, uh-huh. you were part of that blossoming of, of his sound and had a key role in that.
2: Well, I was basically his, pretty much his accompanist on guitar and uh, sitar and uh i still love don he's he's a wonderful man but uh, there was a little problem that arose with season of the witch okay because i wrote this music to season of the witch that's flat out the way it is and uh, uh he acknowledged that at his uh at the show we did at the royal albert hall that was the 45th reunion anniversary of sunshine Superman. So uh, he acknowledged that. And uh, so that was the only problem that uh, ever came between us. But it wasn't Don. It was his manager at the time, a guy named Ashley Kozak. Uh, they put not Don's, Don's real name is Donovan Phillips Leach. So Phillips was in there, but it wasn't the Phillips that wrote the tune, man, you know? <laughs> so anyway, but anyway, that's, a, that's, that's a, uh, the way all that went
1: down. There's lots of footage of you and Donovan playing live, uh, or certainly on TV shows, and sure. really was a, a very strong partnership in that time.
2: It was absolutely it was. I mean, it kind of when I had to do the 45th reunion, it kind of scared the bejesus out of me because I hadn't played sitar for like. Ten years, you know, and I had to get my chops back
1: real quick, man. The recording of of season of the witch.
2: Season of the witch was recorded in the states. Oh, that was originally recorded in the states, uh, and uh, I can't I can't remember the musicians that played on it. But uh, Mickey Mouse was there, hmm. and uh, when we recorded it, and uh, uh, that's how it
1: got done. Did you record much with Donovan in that time in the over in the the U.S. Yeah, we did. we did quite a few things. I
2: actually did more recording with him in England. I actually did. We did more recording in England than we did in the States. I think when Sunshine Superman was done, I think that was a uh, there were quite a few other songs done at the same time, I believe. Yeah.
0: to see And when I look in my window So many different people to be That it's strange Dude think I see Summer cat looking over his shoulder at me and he Yeah, beatniks out to make it rich, oh no, must be the season of the I look out my window What do you think I see And when I look in my window So many different
1: Your role in helping to bring the prominence of of the sitar into the the London music scene. And is there, Guinevere, that you also had a a hand in in writing as well? Well,
2: I wrote the sitar part. Yeah. As far as making the sitar known, through Don, I was able to meet Paul and George, uh, the guys from the Beatles. Uh, George asked me, he invited me twice for, no, three times for dinner. And uh, that was when he was with Patty, I think. Anyway, uh, I went over there and I, I we would sit down and I would give him I would give him pointers and lessons under under that. Now, same thing, same basically same thing I did with Joni Mitchell. I got booked into a club called the Louis Real Coffee House in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And she was a waitress there. And I was there for almost two weeks. And uh, we started a, a, a good friendship, not a relationship, a friendship. I told her I, she really loved the techniques that I used on my 12-string. And basically, I just showed her. And I can tell you this, Jason, from the moment she sat down with a guitar, I knew she was going to do something. That's why I continued to give her, like, pointers every time I got off stage or when we were just hanging out. I knew she was going to do something. Anyway, I got George to, uh, uh, I gave him his first lessons, and he that later on went and met Ravi and got more lessons and so forth and so on. You know, much better than I could give him. But but anyway, it was a wonderful experience. And I got to sing backup vocals on lovely Rita Beederbeck. That made my day.
1: <laughs> David Crosby was there. When yeah,
2: he was there too. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, David's life has taken its toll on him because at a period in my life, oh, quite a while back, uh, when disco came in and singer-songwriters went out, I had to find a job, man. (laughs) So I worked for a place called SIR, Studio Instrument Rentals, in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, David came in with uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and they were rehearsing, and I had been really good friends with David in New York City when we were both doing that thing, passing the, playing the little clubs, passing the basket, all that stuff there. We became very good friends. When I saw him when I was at SIR, he didn't even recognize me. He just walked straight by me. Everything he had done, drugs, life, uh, everything, and he didn't even recognize me. But he's a good man. <laughs>
0: Draped in white velvet, silken lace. The rustle of a gown on the marble staircase sparkles on fingers slender and The jester he sleeps, but the raven he peeps through the dark, foreboding skies or the royal town. Maroon colored wine from the Hearts of night is sipped by the queen's lip and so gently indigo eyes in the flickering light such is the silence of royal camelot the jester he sleeps but the raven ye peeps through the dark, foreboding skies or the royal town. Barkers on fingers, both slender and pale The jester, he sleeps, but the raven, he peeps Through the dark foreboding skies, or the
1: royal dome you continued releasing some uh, solo material, or solo singles in in the sixties whilst you're in London, like yeah. Stargazer. Yeah,
2: you know who the bass player was. Go on, John pa- John Paul Jones. Yeah, it was John Paul. He was he was the bass player on that and Woman, and not the the later Woman. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he was bass player on both of those. Lovely man.
1: When you were doing your own material in the sixties, where were you recording?
2: A lot of it was in air. And different, different. um, God, I can't remember, man. You know, (laughs) hey, hey, Jason, I walk into a room and I forget what I walked into the room for today, but, you know, so I can't remember a lot of that stuff. No, uh, there were quite a few different studios at the time, running at the time, good studios.
1: So by the late 60s, you had difficulty staying in the, the UK, was that right?
2: Yeah, yeah, what happened was I had made a film With the English actress Francesca Annis, and we became very good friends. Truthfully, she was my first love. Anyway, I had made the film uh, with that, and there came a time when uh, I had a work permit through them, and in July of 1967, at the beginning of July, they said, You have to leave the country. Your work permit has expired. You have to leave the country for three months, and then you can come back. So I spoke to my friend Casey Dice, uh, whom I wrote a song about later, The Ballad of Casey Dice. And he said, go to Positano. Uh, My dad, uh, you know, lives, uh, he's a professor of English at the University of Rome. They stay in Positano. Find a guy named Giulio, got a Giulio, and he'll find you a little place to stay. I got there, the taxi driver stopped the taxi at the top of the town where the statue of the Madonna is. And I got out of the taxi and I took one look at that place and I went, I ain't moving for a long time. So I arrived on July the 7th, 1967 in Positano and I didn't leave until 1980. That's how that happened. And in between that, a lot of the stuff that you've heard And they're on faces and things like that. Dick James was my publisher, became my publisher, and he gave me a Revox tape recorder, a stereo tape recorder with three speeds. And uh, I used that to record a lot of music. I wrote a lot of music in Italy during that time.
1: off in the series of albums that you did like Contribution and we've now got El ballad and there was a, an issue with that album Contribution in that AM. you had a vision for a quite an extensive album with interludes and, yes. and spoken elements and they just chopped up the songs and yeah,
2: that's it I had a uh, uh, Jonathan Weston who was my manager at the time uh, I said, what do you want to do? With I played him. It came down to position. I played him. But he said, well, what do you want to do with all this stuff? I said, well, I've got this idea for a trilogy. I've written this fairy tale. And I have a lot of poems and, and a lot of music. And I'd like to make a trilogy of records. And so he approached Dick James. Dick James said, fine, here's the money. So we recorded all of it. And we used uh, the, the fairy tale. Uh, is called The Beginning of the End of the Story. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what it's about because one day you will hear it. But the, the thing is about I got Patrick John Scott, who was a composer, a film composer at the time. I had heard something he did in an arrangement for the Hollies, something about snow falling, and his arrangement mirrored snow falling. So I got in touch with him and I said, listen, I've written this, blah, 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 so I, I want to narrate this and I need music behind it. He composed an entire thing and used specifically picked members from the London Philharmonic to record it. And to this day, it sits in a vault at Universal Records. Oh, I've, what the hell I'll tell you. It's a story about that I had never heard that anybody had ever written about. It's a story about how the rainbow began uh, and uh, so anyway th- anyway that got done anyway jonathan weston took all this to AM. AM said jerry an a guy in new york city at the time he met with him and uh he picked the phone and called jerry Moss, and said we gotta sign this guy and uh so we got there did all this they were gung-ho to do this the trilogy. It had never been done before. And then Bob Feed, who was a comptroller for the bean counter for AM Rexers, said, No, this is not feasible. We can't do this. We could chopped it up and they took all the songs and put them on contribution. And that was the beginning of my AM career. Uh-huh.
1: One of the interesting things in in that period as well was um, your appearance at the Isle of Wight Festival, legendary Isle of Wight Festival.
2: Oh, not even scheduled to play. How did that happen? I then? had been at an, I had been at another festival somewhere in England. I came to beginning. What's that famous festival that goes on today? Well,
1: Glastonbury. Was,
2: I think that was the beginnings of the Glastonbury thing. Anyway, this guy said there's this huge festival going on on the Isle of Wight, so forth and so on. I know a guy with a private single engine aircraft going to fly there. Do you want to go? And there was a woman there who was the brass player for Sly and the Family Stone. And she wanted to go, too, but she was terrified of flying. I thought this woman was going to break my hand while we were on flight i'm trying to explain the physics of flying to her and so forth and how safe it is versus driving and all that anyway we get there i'm there for two days and uh like everybody else i'm about a stone so i can't walk and they come up to me they said there's been a cancellation okay can we hear you're a singer songwriter can you do a 45 minute set for us and i got up there and i did i did a 45 minute set in front of six hundred and fifty-seven thousand people and i got a double standing ovation off of that and uh <laughs> you know the energy off of that was extraordinary man i never forgot it
1: Casey Dice earlier, and we have "Ballad of Casey Dice," a live recording from 1977, from the live in the '70s set that you recorded in in Chicago. That's the, the beauty of uh, songwriting is that you can capture emotions, feelings, real stories. And this is a tragic story. Yeah,
2: well, see, that's the, that's the thing. A lot of people don't understand about my music. I never write from imagination i write about physical, real experience. Sometimes it may get a little he- too heavy for some people, you know. And, uh, but anyway, Casey was a, a real guy. Everything I said happened in that song. Everything, all of that happened to him.
1: Were you going back and forth to the U.S. to play live in that period from Italy then? Yes.
2: At that period, one second contribution uh, started getting going. It really kind of started in Minneapolis and they played it on the radio and they started playing me on the radio. And that's the key to a real success in the music industry, getting played on the radio. So, uh, yes, I would travel from Italy, back and forth from Italy to the States, touring and so forth. And so on And I did that oh, for quite a few years
1: What was the mix, playing solo and then sometimes for a band?
2: Yeah, well, actually what happened is that we found out that the, uh, the uh, manager that I had at the time My tour manager informed me that the guy was keeping double books on the road And uh, so I fired him and um from that point i started uh, started doing pretty much solo work and st- uh, stuff like that and that brings us to an interesting point because there came a point about that time that i was doing the one man one guitar thing okay uh, you know it got to a point to where it just bored me to tears on stage the same songs every night Blah blah, blah 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 okay well here's the deal though i think i have done something now that i don't know any other songwriter has done while i was doing that one person one guitar thing i was hearing the music in my head that i could be playing with technology so i 25 almost 30 years ago i went to technology and today there have been different levels of evolution in my stage setup but today i can play alone by myself i can play you almost what you hear on the on the albums complete with guitars basses strings everything all of that i do it all in real time and uh i have become what they call a looper okay
0: a man of youthful features, to a boy of soft lies, watching out but looking at all that straight.
3: His mind
0: decried for life. A deep perception was trying to capture that which he saw. a star between his eyes in his hand
2: Today, one of the things, there's a very famous song I wrote called Woman. The introduction to that, I actually play the first half of the uh, adagio movement for the Concerto de Aranjuez. Ba-da-da, ba-da-da, that piece of music. Okay, I play the entire orchestration of it. In real time, with oboe, basses, viola, cello, high violins, and French horn, it blows people away. Uh, it's really and it's great fun doing it. You know, it's very fulfilling. And so I, I have evolved to where I'm doing that now because the the concerts just weren't fun anymore for me. It, it was boring. This way, it's not only fun, it's really challenging because I swear to God, it's like flying an aircraft trying to do a concert today. There's, there's a lot going on. Every loop that I make, I have to physically control the, the gain level that I'm doing it right there in real time. So you can imagine
1: all the stuff that's going on. You mentioned Woman, uh, one of your key tracks are from a great album, Second Contribution. Uh-huh. That's also got, like, must be one of the longest single titles in history or certainly at the time actually
2: the longest song title ever written i don't know it but i know that it was one word longer than my title and it was written by a musician named hoagie carmichael and my title is she was waiting for her mother at the station in torino and you know i love you baby but it's getting too heavy to laugh and uh, if I'd added one more word, it would be him. <laughs> but anyway, there's a story behind that. There was a young girl when I was living in Positano, young girl, Letitia, 15 years old, ran away from home in Torino. And at that time, I was in the relationship with Francesca Annis, And she would co- go to some a friend's house. We were a, a, like a, a clique of expatriates from various countries, France, Germany, India, United States, Britain, she'd stay with one folks, they'd feed her and let her sleep there. Then she'd come to us, she'd sleep on our couch and we'd feed her. We didn't have the money to support this child, okay? So what we did is we pooled all the money that we had and we bought her an express train ticket back to Torino. Put her on the train at 7.45 in the morning at 11 to 11, 12 o'clock that night. We we're all sitting in the bar internazionale and Leticia calls to the bar and she asks for me. And, and Mimi, the bartender, says, Oi, join me. It's for you. And she's in tears. She's crying her eyes out. And she says, Oh, la mama non, stacli, non so My mother's not here. I don't know what. At that precise moment, she saw her mother walk into the station. So she was waiting for her mother, blah 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 blah. So that's how that came about. <laughs> Amen.
0: come back discreetly, to
3: speak
0: i
1: Some people may not know is yours, but quite a notable hit is uh, Lost Horizon from uh, 1973. And that was a Bacharach and David song. How how did that happen?
2: Well, David and and Bert Bacharach, I was in a coffee shop with the foresaid manager and with the lawyer that we were working with at the time. He met another lawyer that he knew that was representing Bert. And he said, "Bert." They said, "Bert's looking for somebody to sing this song." My lawyer said to his lawyer, "Well, let's get them together." They made we made an appointment for a meeting with Bert at A and went in there. Bert sat down at the piano. He gave me the words and uh, showed me the melody, and I started singing. He Said, "You're it. You're done. You're in." We get to the studio, okay, and whoever the producer was of Lost Horizon. How? I can't remember his name now. Anyway, Bert wanted the song to be voice and piano only. He said, it's magical that way. It's just magical. This guy insisted on full orchestra. So we recorded both. We did one with just the piano and the voice. We did one with the full orchestra. Then Bert came back. They finished recording the with the one with the voice, with the orchestra, I walk back in. Bert was enraged. He was and he said, "It's awful. It's just awful." And he kept building himself up to a certain point, how David was there, and another and built suddenly, Bert grabs a razor. Goes over to the 24 track, pulls the tape off, does a Frank Zappa fade on this tape, rips the tape off and starts shredding it with a razor. (laughs) Everybody left the room, Jason. It was an amazing moment.
1: Wow.
2: So anyway, yeah, but that's that's how that came about.
1: Was that for a film?
2: Yeah, but Lost Horizon.
1: Was it anti-war?
2: Yeah, very, very. Very anti
0: Have you ever dreamed of a place far away from
2: it all?
0: Da, 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 da,
2: da, da, you know, strange melody line, huh? lovely melody line. Huh?
0: of guns In your ears Anymore so Many miles from yesterday
1: Next, we have the title track of your um, album, Bright White. And when you look at the credits of of those albums that you made, the people at every stage of that process, from the musicians, the production staff, is Mm A-grade.
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That song, it was just us guys in the studio improvising because that's one of the secrets to my records. Look at the guys I played with. A-list. Absolutely bloody A-list. And the key to that is don't ever tell those guys what to play. You know, you don't tell Alfonso Johnson how to play the bass, man. Or Lee Sklar or Chuck Rainey or any of these guys. You don't tell. Anyway, the thing is, is I always go into the studio. Here's my vision. Here's a basic structure. This is my vision to the tune. You put whatever you like to it. And I'm really... I'm so chuffed with being able to call all those guys friends in my life. This bullshit of I record a tune and then I send it to the drummer. The drummer sends it to the bass player. And the bass player sends it. To, you know, you will never get the magic of people playing together that way. And that's the way almost everything is made today. A lot of guys just don't want to go through the years required. Master an instrument.
1: Are those albums in many of those se- albums in the uh, 70s have been reissued uh, in the past decade, haven't they? There's been a, a campaign, and that means that people get to hear those albums.
2: Yeah, very various people have released them, totally unbeknownst to me, most of it. Uh, but they are some of them uh, are coming back out again, yes. <laughs>
0: Now I told you a long time ago that I'd hold you Never let you go behind me Anywhere I might fall And I know you believing in me And I hope for seeing my dream A whole lot of people in this world is running around And it's a long way in the face of fear And there's a lot of men left without any tears anymore But the music don't come out quite the same anymore It's all about a bright white light Shining through your mind and guiding your way Mama put your arms around me Fill me with your joy and rock me night I said bright white light Shining through your mind and guiding your way you go behind anywhere i might flow and i'll hold you in winter and spring and behold you and everything i sing. being in your arms is just like coming home
3: and it's a long way in the face of fear And there's a lot of
0: men left without any tears anymore Money is a name in the game of fame, but the music don't come out quite the same anymore. it's all about a bright white light shining through your mind again. it. Bright white light shining
1: And one of my favourite songs of yours, and again, we've got a live version from 1973, from live in the 70s, is All the Kings and Castles. The imagery, the imagery that you weave in that song is poetry. With such a great song like that, would the lyrics come after the music or the other way around?
2: Well, look, here's the deal. I have three criteria with which I write. Anger, wonder, and technique. Anger is you look at the world around you and if you're satisfied with what you see, then you're probably certifiable, man. You know, number two, wonder, okay, to be attentive to every blade of grass, every drop of rain, you know, and number three, technique, keeping a balance between the anger and the wonder. That's what I try and do. And I try to stay as true to the reality of life as possible in the lyrics. And there's a whole thing. Even that song and changes are the best way that we could ever be. um, And in the in the ponds of stagnant water from the lack of running free. Okay, you know that's it. That's where the world is at right now. We're at that point. Changes and having things are stagnating. And and, uh, uh, I, I try to get those things in into a thing. And sometimes the music comes first. And sometimes the words come first. But most of the time, the music and the words come together. And that song was written in 45 minutes. The entire song was written in 45 minutes. It just, it just flowed, channeled through. It all came down. The same with another song that I recently wrote that's on continuance. Uh, the song Come On Round. Okay? That song... I will not sing in concert. It's a great country tune. The music is country, but I will not sing it in concert because it's the only song that I have ever written that the music destroys the power of the words in that song. If you read those those words, it's a very strong uh, poem. So anyway, but that's the that's the way it writes and it, it has to channel through people say oh can you do, Can you compose this for me can you write me a song up? no i can't but you've planted the seed okay we'll see what happens that's the only way i can work
0: See with the eyes of total love, live in the heart of everyone. Seed in the fields and the forests And the colors and the rippling sea And in the ponds of stagnant water From the lack of running
1: of yours this time from 1978 on rca is transcendence and uh songs like moats of dust ah. you mentioned well we were discussing a grade but we've got the kind of an arrangement by michael cayman you've got michael, lace michael
2: cayman what a guy wow i loved michael so much he was such an amazing guy and uh he just he just RCA came to call called me, I was still in Italy at the time, and they called me and uh, said, you're, you're going away from a what you're going to do now? And that's how that came about. But I had been introduced to Michael through Manos Hajidakis, the Greek composer, and he's the one that originally introduced me to Michael, and uh, we became friends from there.
1: Jeff Bacaro on drums. (laughs) Jeff Macaro on drums, yep. You mentioned uh, one of the all-time great bassists, Leigh Sklar, and he's on YouTube on on the playback talking about transcendence.
2: Dude, he's also on Facebook, and I read everything he writes, and I watch all his things. He did a thing on me not long ago that was just humbled my ass, man. I mean, it was extraordinary what Lee had to say about me. I mean i love him he is probably the singular most lyrical bass player in the world and uh i mean the things he did on on some of the records of his bass playing on the song implications was just incredible you know yeah
1: You mentioned about staying in in Italy for about 10 years. And what caused you to leave Italy then?
2: An earthquake. Oh. The big earthquake, 1980, shook my house so hard it was unlivable. They've now shored the house up. But at the time, the floors and stuff, uh, because the house was long this way. And luckily, instead of shaking the house this way, back and forth, the earthquake shook it this way. OK, uh, because when it happened, it, it happened like eight o'clock in the evening. We were all sat around the table and uh, I had built a, a heath kit weather thing, uh, electronic thing that told me the weather, wind speed and all that. And the, the doors, the glass doors started to rattle and shake. And I thought, well, there's no wind. I look up, no, no wind. And I, the next second, this the first shock hit. And it threw, there were four or five of us in the room and it threw the chairs out from underneath us. And I realized what was happening. And we, we, we went down the stairs to the street. Listen, I have been under the influence of some various and nefarious substances in my life, but I never saw the Amalfi Coast undulate like it was made out of foam rubber okay uh, that was that was one of the most incredible things i have the entire amalfi coastline undulating like it was made out of foam rubber out of that later i had a generator in my studio we grabbed that generator and we went down. The guy opened up the hardware shop. We got wires and lights and put all that together and we went driving around the Sorrento Peninsula. We came on in Castellamare, we came on an apartment building that collapsed with people in it. And there was a guy that was trying to sell bottles of water aqua minerale to the people that were digging in the in the rubble but he was trying to charge 10 times what it actually and that these guys came off that hill and just beat the bejesus out of this guy and there was a the song on no category called most of us don't understand it all came out of that paul's arrangement on that is just heartbreaking Mm -hmm.
0: The hunter talk of tales, of exploitation, I think I'd want, and explanation further to the situation, why we live in aggravation, most of us. Thunder love's defiled and dies in thunder. We are born with acclamation, live to learn, intimidation swelled to proud, exaggeration. Then we die in isolation. Most of us don't understand. Motion rise to heights, a joyous notion clouds create
3: the year.
1: Continue to record and make music, but it seems that in the past decade, your creativity and songwriting has gone up again.
2: Yes and no. The COVID thing really shut me down. That and moving to a house where I'm not happy where the studio is. And uh, I love the house, but not where the studio is. I did write one thing. You can find it on Facebook. It's a song called As the Days Pass By. And it was about COVID. Uh, That was the one thing I've written in like the last uh, two and a half, three years. I think I'll start writing again and we'll see what happens. But truthfully, going through all the hassle of finding the money and raising it. uh, You know, it's a uh, it's a it's a it's a a chore, man. And uh, we'll see if I have the fortitude to do it again. But uh, that remains to be seen.
1: Your last album was Continuance and uh, we have the track Man With A Gun. Man With A Gun. Is that anger?
2: Oh, anger. Uh, No, it's a warning. Oh. It's a warning. Look, let me explain something. Every single empire that has existed with the human species has failed to two reasons, debt and imperial overstretch. We are in right now, In the midst of that, in Britain, in the U.S., and everywhere around the world, we are dealing, what we are having to deal with is human greed and selfishness. And if that does not change, I have a 16-year-old son. I see what he goes through. How am I going to exist in this world, this way, when this kind of pressure is being put on me? To survive, we need to understand that the person who should be in power is the one that doesn't want it. That is the person that's fit to hold power, is the one that doesn't want it. You know, I mean, you know, and they've got their dirty games from behind their hidden names, moving money all around the nations, never getting caught. Everything is easy bought. And the law is just a desecration. You know that without fail, they will never go to jail. Your survival makes a great detraction. It's what's going on today, you know, and that's that's what is driving me to right now. Wake up. You have to understand this is our real problem. The people that we have put in power right now.
1: What a powerful way to end. Just such a pleasure talking to you, Sean. What a journey you've had. What songwriting, as yeah. we said, the musicians that you work with. Yeah. Hugely impressed with the uh, Live in the 70s set. People can also keep up with you at seanphillips.com. And I know that you're you're still getting out there and playing live as well.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm on. I'm right now. This apartment I'm in is an Airbnb. I'm on tour in Quebec right now. Uh, What I wanted to say was that I'm going to this album live in the 70s. These were done when I, I was at the peak of my game. Okay, In voice. I had five octaves. I've got three now. I don't have the dexterity or the precision that I had with finger picking and flat picking. You got no choice, okay. When you start getting older, you lose, start to lose that some of that dexterity, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. All right. So anyway, I just want to to emphasize to people that this is when I was really at the top of my game, and I highly recommended it. So as you say in closing, I wish all of our listeners health, love, and clarity. That'll get us through it.
1: Thank you so much, Sean.
2: Thank you very much. That works both ways, Jason. Bye-bye.